First John chapter 3, verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. They don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know him. Our Father loves us so much that he calls us his children. And that is what we are. Verse 2. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. First thing, Jesus' followers are children of God. One of the truths that we so often misunderstand is the power of that statement and the truth of that statement. If you are following Jesus, if you are a Christian who is following Jesus, not you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but if you are a Jesus follower, then you are a child of God. You are his son. You are his daughter. He is your father. He's adopted us into his family. We are children of God because he loves us. Not because of anything good that we've done, but simply because he loves us so much and we've chosen to follow Jesus. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the first thing he did when the disciples came to Jesus and said, how should we pray? Teach us how to pray. The first thing he said was, address God as your father. We say, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. The first thing we need to know when we address God in prayers, we're addressing our father. You know, there's a lot of us that had wonderful parents growing up. Many of us had, had wonderful parents that loved us, that tried their best to teach us and to show us the way to live. A lot of us had wonderful parents who loved Jesus, who tried to follow Jesus and tried to teach us the ways to follow Jesus. But here's the thing. All of us who had wonderful parents, who honestly tried their best, we were still parented by flawed, imperfect sinners. Sadly, though, there's a lot of us maybe even more so, that did not have wonderful parents. Our parents were not nice. They were not kind. We had parents who were selfish, who were unloving, who were narcissistic, mean, or just downright evil to us. So sometimes as followers of Jesus, we misunderstand what it means to be a child of God because we view God as our Father through the lens of our earthly parents. Even the wonderful parents that tried their best had flaws that they didn't even know that they were passing on to their children and the way they parented. And so we view, even if we had great parents, we view God as our father through the lens of our earthly parents. If we didn't have good parents, if we had, you know, parents that didn't love us, that didn't even try to do their best, or even they did try to do their best, but they were so far gone from uh, the way, you know, God uh, wants us to live, that they, they really couldn't transcend that way, we still view God as our father through the lens of our earthly parents. But our heavenly father, he is a perfect father. He is unselfish. God is not mean. He is loving. He is kind. And he wants the best for us. You know, there's these two words that we're not going to get into detail just for time's sake. But there's discipline and then there's punishment. Now, 
growing up as kids, we equate, equate the two things as the same thing. Well, when I'm disciplined, that means I'm being punished. But discipline and punishment are two different things. Our Heavenly Father does discipline us as His children, and that's through Scripture. A lot of pastors don't like to talk about it because it's not warm and fuzzy, and it's kind of confusing a little bit, but He disciplines His children, meaning that if we're headed in the wrong direction, He brings forth discipline so that we can go in the right direction, but that's different than punishment. And so many times, even growing up with loving, wonderful parents, they had to punish us when we did things wrong. And they needed to. That's a part of parenting. Part of parenting is training your kids in the way they should go. But sometimes we take that same type of mindset and we apply that to our Heavenly Father. That somehow we're not His kids when we make mistakes. Somehow He doesn't love us because we, we attributed love to affection and we didn't understand that discipline is a part of love. So we've tried to earn God's love. But as children of God, we don't have to earn His love. We don't have to strive or toil for his affection. His affection is freely given to us. We don't have to prove our worth in his kingdom. And we don't have to prove to anyone else that we are his children. Now, we don't have time to really unpack that idea, and there's probably a lot more in there than even I could articulate. But just think about that. We don't have to prove to anyone else that we're children of God. You don't have to prove to the other people in this room, that you're, children, that you're a child of God. You don't have to prove to your coworkers, your neighbors, your parents, your cousins. You don't have to prove to anybody that you're children. The only person that really matters and needs to have confidence in that is you and God. So many times, we've felt like we needed to prove that we are followers of Jesus. So, we've maybe denied emotions, or we acted like we weren't having a bad week, we were having a bad week, or whatever. We, I mean, that, there's so many things you could apply to that. But here's the thing, I don't have to prove to anyone that Greg Headley is my dad. Greg Headley's my dad. He's my dad. I don't have to prove that to you. And even if you said, no, he's not, it's like, I don't care what you think. Yes, he is. It's clear. You know? I mean, he raised me. He's my dad. I don't need to prove that to you. And if you don't believe me, right? And it's like if someone tried to convince you that your parent wasn't your parent, like how dumb is that argument, right? And you would think like, this, this, I don't, this is not even worth my time to discuss, Yet, when it comes to our Heavenly Father, sometimes we feel so much pressure to prove that we're followers of Jesus. If you're a Jesus follower, you are a child of God, which kind of leads us to another truth here that Scripture is clear on, but there's a myth in our culture uh, that is incorrect. The myth is this. Every human is a son or a daughter of God. It's simply not true. Sounds great. Sounds wonderful. Like, oh, we're all children of God. That's not what Scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us that the people who are trying to follow Jesus are children of God, and those who are not trying to follow Jesus, they're not children of God. They're not sons and daughters of the Father. And we see that all the time in our culture, like, well, we're all, and we're all sons and daughters. They're all children of God. It's like, well, that's not what Scripture teaches. I mean, it would be, it'd be great. Like, I mean, it'd be great if everyone ended up in heaven, but it's simply not the truth. If everyone had the benefits of having God as their father, but it's not the case. Only those who are following Jesus. I mean, James says, it's not even those that believe that Jesus is the son of God. Because even the demons believe that and they shudder. So it's not just, oh, Jesus is the son of God, so I'm a child of God because I believe that that's true. Like, that's not a, it's those who are following Jesus, who are trying their best to follow Jesus. Not to get everything perfect. We know there's no perfect people allowed here because there are no perfect people, but those who are following Jesus. And if they're not a Jesus follower, they're not a child of God, which leads us to the next thing. 
Those who don't follow Jesus, they don't recognize that we are God's children. Those who are not following Jesus, they don't recognize that we are God's children. John says they don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know God. Because they don't know the Father, they don't understand what it's like to be a child of the Father. When God works on our behalf, when God does something amazing, it's easy for those who are not following Jesus to just chalk it up to luck or coincidence or happenstance. Well, we know, no, it's because I'm following Jesus and he's working on my behalf. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis talks about the the idea of miracles and either we believe there are miracles or we believe that there are not miracles. There's, There's only one of two things. And basically what a miracle is, is anytime the supernatural intervenes into the natural, that is a miracle. So as Jesus followers, we believe in miracles. So we believe that anytime that God works on our behalf, the supernatural invades the natural, it is a miraculous uh, instance. It is a miracle, and God works on our behalf. And because we're his children, he's promised to work miracles on our behalf. Now, sometimes we think of miracles, we only think of healing in Scripture. But there's so many more things that are miracles. But it's easy, it's easy to look at something that good that happened, it's easy to look at some, like, you know, uh, some meeting, some chance meeting with this or that to take place. Like, oh, man, that was really good luck. Like, no, we're children of God. It was God working on our behalf. But those who don't follow God, that are not God's children, they'll never recognize that we are. You know, when I was a young kid, I had this Sunday school teacher that explained, like, living with God in a way that I've never forgotten. I mean, for over 30 years, I've thought about this illustration. And I thought, it, it's just wonderful and, you know, I'm sure there's, you could poke theological holes in it a little bit, but it's an illustration for a little kid, all right? But uh, he, he painted it in, in this way of, he said, you know, if you were, you choose to follow Jesus and you're a Christian, you know, you're saved and all the words that people use to describe us who follow Jesus. He said, basically, it's, it's like you're living under an umbrella. There's this umbrella that is God and you're living under the umbrella. And he said, no matter where you go, the umbrella goes with you. He said, that doesn't mean we're not going to go out into the rain, but when we go out into the rain, we're covered by the umbrella. That doesn't mean life isn't going to be difficult, life isn't going to be hard, but no matter what we face, we're under the umbrella. And then he talked about, you know, but if we choose to walk away from Jesus, not we make one sin, not we make a few mistakes, not we mess up, but if we purposely choose, I'm not going to follow Jesus, then we're no longer under that umbrella. So all the benefits of being children of God no longer apply because we're not living under that umbrella. But as long as we're under that umbrella, there are promises in Scripture that we know are true and that we can bank on, that God has a plan, he has a purpose. We're going to have difficulty. It doesn't mean we follow Jesus and everything's going to be great all the time. But no matter what we face, no matter how difficult it is, we're living under the umbrella of God's favor, of God's presence, because he is with us. Now, those who don't follow Jesus, they'll never recognize that we're under that kind of umbrella. They'll never see it. They'll never understand it. So, As Jesus followers, when we walk into dangerous situations and we are not afraid, they don't understand. Whenever someone wrongs us and we don't retaliate, it's easy to ask, well, why would you not retaliate? That doesn't make sense. How we love others and how we can be kind to others who are not kind and who are completely unloving towards us, those who don't follow Jesus don't understand why we would act that way. Whenever we don't seek revenge, whenever we are not malicious, even when we've been persecuted and called names, and all these things I'm talking about, this is the way Jesus has taught us to live. This is the example of Jesus, not retaliating, not taking revenge, walking into dangerous situations and not being afraid. 
being in the midst of all kinds of bad things happening and saying, you know what, my God is still good and he still has a plan and I don't know how it's going to work out, but he's going to work it out because I know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Those who are following Jesus, these promises of scripture, I can't see it, but I know it's going to happen. But those who don't follow Jesus, they won't recognize that umbrella that we live under. They won't recognize that we are God's children and he works on our behalf. They won't understand why we give generously to the family of God. They won't understand how we gain favor with bosses and coworkers. They don't understand how we sacrifice ourselves for others. Because they don't understand, because they don't know God. Which leads me to the next truth for us to consider. Those who don't follow Jesus don't know the Father. Those who don't follow Jesus don't follow Jesus. For so long, Christian communities have tried to get people who are not following Jesus to act like they're following Jesus. They want, we want your behavior to change. It's like, well, I want their behavior to look like they're following Jesus. They're not even trying to follow Jesus. Why am I trying to get them to act like they're following Jesus? It's one of these biblical truths that I think Christians misunderstand all the time. How can we expect someone to act like they're following Jesus if they're not and they're not trying? So what happens is we try to change people's behavior before showing them the love and the grace of Jesus. Because we as Jesus followers have misunderstood how we're to treat those outside the church, and because of that misunderstanding, we have structured our acceptance of people into the family of God, into the church family, we've structured it backwards. I think because we've misunderstood this, we've structured how we welcome and accept people into a church family completely backwards. What I mean is this. For a long time, we've told non-Jesus followers, if you want to join us, that's the wrong word. I, did, did I do that wrong? Hold on. Yep, I did. I missed one. Oh, well. So, I won't, I'll just say it because the illustration is not going to make sense because it, I wrote it wrong. But anyways, all right. So, uh, what I mean is this. For a long time, We've told non-Jesus followers who are not following Jesus, said, if you want to be welcomed into our church family, like if you want to come and be a part of Vine Church or whatever church, you know, and be a part of, you know, I won't say it, transit, whatever. Okay, so if you want to be a part of this place, what you got to do is you have to behave just like us. You got to act like us. You got to talk like us. You got to think like us. And then if you behave just like we do, after you behave right, we will let you believe in Jesus. Because you behave right, you can now believe in Jesus. Isn't that great? And then once you behave right, and once you believe in Jesus, then we will welcome you and we will treat you as if you belong in this family. You belong here. You belong here because you behave right and you believe right, then you belong here. And that's completely backwards. I think I made the right one correct. I did, yes. Okay. The right way to do this is the way Jesus did this. Is he walked up to people who weren't trying to follow him, people that were not trying to follow God, that were sinners, that were completely lost in sin, and he welcomed them and embraced them with open arms. And he said, come and belong. Come and be a part of this. Come and we welcome you, we love on you. And then, once people feel a sense of belonging because we've welcomed them in, through our example, we show them the love of Jesus, we teach them the truth of Jesus, and then they begin to believe because Jesus has worked on their heart and they've seen the effects of being in a wonderful family. 
And then once they believe, the Holy Spirit is the one who works on believers, and then the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches them to behave like Jesus. But as believers, we've gotten this backwards. But John makes it clear, those who don't know Jesus, like they don't know the Father. If they're not trying, they're not trying. So we have to stop acting like, or we have to stop trying to get people that are not following Jesus to act like they are following Jesus. We can't expect people to behave like a mature Christian until they're a mature Christian. We should stop focusing on trying to change people's behavior. Instead, should just focus on loving them, accepting them like Jesus did in a very practical and tangible way, the way Jesus did. When we look at the life of Jesus in the New Testament, he went after, he hung out with sinners. It was one of the things the religious people hated. They said, why are you eating with sinners? And what did he say? It's the sick who need a doctor. I'm going to make sure they know that they're loved and cared for. They belong. And then after that, they're going to choose to believe in Jesus. Now, some very well-meaning and wonderful uh, people have tried to kind of, you know, act this out in a, in a church kind of setting. And then what happens is a lot of people belong. And then at some point in time, they leave the fellowship because they didn't choose to believe. Or sometimes we haven't spoken the truth on them enough and they've been in the belonging stage for, for years and they still don't behave or believe at all because they haven't spoken the truth. But it, this has to be a process. What happens is we're going to welcome people in. We're going to make them feel welcome, make them feel loved, make them feel like they belong. And then through the truth of the gospel, through the evidence of our lives, we're going to pray that they believe. But if they choose not to believe, they're probably at some point going to stop feeling like they belong. And that doesn't mean that we've made a big mistake. It's simply everyone has to make their own choice. We can't force people to believe. You know, we saw evidence of this in one of the churches that we led. We had a, someone coming for a long time, for months, and we loved on them. And it was great that they came even though they didn't believe. But at one point in time, they just, they had a made, they made a decision. You know, I, I either have to be friends uh, with you guys and stop coming to the church. Or if I keep coming, I'm just not going to, uh, I'm going to be mad at you all the time because I just don't believe what you believe. And it was hard for us to see that. But at the same time, it was like, what that means is we've been speaking the truth, and they've simply chosen not to believe. So they felt welcome to come for a long time, but then they, they have to make that decision to believe. And so it, it's a messy, kind of sticky situation, I guess, or, or thing. But we can't say, well, you know what? If that's going to, we're only going to go after those who already believe. Like, no, that's not, that's not the gospel. That's not the mission of Jesus. As Jesus followers, we're supposed to go after people who don't believe in Jesus yet, and make them feel loved, and make them, you know, help them feel like they belong, love on them, care for them, build a relationship with them, and then hopefully, through sharing the truth of Jesus, they begin to believe. But if they don't, then we're going to see what we see all through Scripture as well. People that don't believe in Jesus, that have been told the truth, that, have, that know the truth, that have seen the real Jesus and still choose not to believe, they begin to treat us very differently begin to accuse, begin to persecute, begin to all kinds of stuff, and that's going to happen, and that's okay because God's with us. But the truth is, those who don't believe in Jesus are not following him, they don't know the Father. In verse 3, he says, And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. So what is biblical purity? You know, as a teenager growing up, uh, as a young adult, when I thought of purity, I thought of one single thing. And I bet you know what it is. Sex. 
That's it. Purity was synonymous with sex. Like, stay pure meant don't have sex. Like, that's all it meant. But biblical purity is so much more than sex. As Jesus followers, yeah, we are to remain sexually pure. We're not supposed to have sex with someone other than our spouse. And that means before marriage as well. You know, and this is one of those things that non-Jesus followers don't understand, and that's even more pervasive in our culture now than ever before. Non-Jesus followers will not understand why we would choose to not live with someone before we get married, to not have sex before we get married. Uh, And when we get married, you know, as believers, when we get married, sometimes in the church, because of this whole, like, we're supposed to keep ourselves pure, and believers are supposed to stay pure, we've, like, had a negative view of sex, that it's like, oh, sex is bad. Sex is not bad. When you get married, sex is great. And Christians should have the best sex of all, like for real, because there's a spiritual component to it that non-believers don't have. It's wonderful. I said it's not about sex, and now I'm talking about sex, so we can move on. But biblical purity is so much more than sex. Impurity is sin of any kind. Sin of any kind. So biblical purity is being free from any sin of any kind. So after verse 3, John goes to talk all about how we shouldn't sin, how we should abstain from all sin at all costs. Purity, not just sex. He wasn't even referencing that. We've just used that for sex. It's sin of any kind. We're to stay away from sin. We're to continually confess and repent of our sins and mistakes so that we can be pure once again. Now, we typically read the New Living Translation, ESV and NIV. They say verse 3 a little differently. They say everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, as Jesus is pure, all right? Those who have this hope that God is our Father and he loves in him purify themselves just as God is pure, all right? So how do we purify ourselves? We know the way to get free from sin is confession and repentance. It's not doing a bunch of good works to earn our way back with God. It's just confession and repentance. So if we are to uh, remain pure, what that means is fun. One, we're to do our best to stay away from sin, to flee. I mean, Paul says run, like flee from sin, run away from it. But whenever we make mistakes, we know that we can still remain pure through repentance and confession. Repentance and confession are supposed to be regular practices of Jesus' followers because that's the way that we purify ourselves as Jesus is pure. And that's the way we remain pure. See, there's something that takes place when we repent. Repentance is confessing our sins to God, this is what I did wrong, and then it's turning in the opposite direction and committing to go somewhere else. Whenever we uh, engage in the act of repentance, we come before God, and we talked about that a few weeks ago in the whole confession thing, sincere confession, and we're honestly confessing before God. It's in those moments of confession, in those moments of repentance, not only do we make an internal personal commitment that we don't want to do that anymore, but in those moments are where the Holy Spirit begins to show us how to stay away from that sin in the future. That's an aspect of repentance I think we miss out a lot on because we can go and confess our sins, especially if we're insincere. It's like this checkbox thing. But true repentance is coming before God and saying, here's what I did wrong. and I don't want to do this anymore. I'm repenting. I'm turning from it. Lead me in the way everlasting, as, as uh, David said in Psalm 53. Show me the way out of this. Show me the way to not engage in that same sin over and over over again. I am purifying myself by confession, by repentance, and by commitment to not do this and inviting the Holy Spirit in to help me get better. To help me get better. Those who are Jesus followers are children of God. Do you follow Jesus? Then you are a son 
and a daughter of God. And making mistakes doesn't discount you from being a son or a daughter of God. The benefits that God has for his children, still, uh, he, he still gives to his children even when we're making mistakes. Do you follow Jesus? The world will not understand our decisions to be bold, pure, loving, and kind when we're mistreated. Do we follow Jesus? Then we are to welcome others with open arms, just like Jesus did, even though they don't act the way we do. It's okay that they, they don't act the way we do because they're not even trying to follow Jesus. We can accept them, love on them, without asking them to change their behavior just yet. Do we follow Jesus? Then we're to stay pure by running from sin and by regularly repenting of our mistakes. We purify ourselves, and every single time we repent, he's faithful, he's just to forgive, we're washed clean, and we can go forth anew. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much that when we make mistakes and we sin, you don't hold them against us for years and years. We thank you that you don't hold grudges. We thank you that every time we repent, you make us new all over again. Father, I pray for those of us in this church family listening or watching or here in this room that have filtered our understanding of you as our perfect father through the lens of our flawed and imperfect earthly parents. And that's caused us to fear that we're, whether we're loved or not. That has caused us to try and perform and earn your love. That's caused us to, to whatever, God, you know what those things are in us that we have uh, incorrectly applied to our relationship with you. God, I pray that you would reveal those things to us so that we can be healed and whole. I pray that you would show us how deeply and truly you love us. God, I pray for those of us in here that you are calling to love on some people who don't follow you, and we've been scared. Honestly, we just don't even know how, or we've been scared to show them love because in some way we think it condones their behavior, which is contrary to Scripture. God, I pray that you would reveal to us how you would treat them and that we would go and do the same. How you would love on them, how you would tell them the truth and speak the truth in love in the right moments. I pray that you would show us how to do that. God, I pray that whenever we are facing a difficult circumstance, I pray that whenever we are being mistreated, that we would listen to the advice of other Jesus followers because they understand what it means to be a Jesus follower and what it means to have your covering. We would go out, we would live the way you're calling us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So if you'd grab your blue connection card with me this morning, it's on the table in front of you or at home. You can go online to vinetrustful.com. And on the connection card, it says, my next right step. This week, I will. You know, I didn't go over a whole lot of really practical, like one, two steps type of thing this week. But I honestly believe in praying that God spoke to you about some things in you that he's adjusting, that he's healing, that he's redeeming, or that he's leading you into. If you'd write that down, 
so that we can be praying for you. That would be amazing. And once you write it down, put it in the buckets in the back, and our prayer team will pray for you. Online, you can submit those, and we'll be praying for you. Uh, online, we're going to go ahead and uh, let you go at this moment. And then in here, you guys can take a few minutes to fill out those connection cards, then run and grab your kids. And uh, thank you to all of you who helped last week. I know so many of you stayed and helped. A few of you that are at home today stayed and helped last week go and get a bunch of equipment from uh, the other church that donated stuff. So thank you. That was awesome. It was a wonderful day. Uh, we've already making good use of the kids' checking counter out there. If you're wondering where we got that, someone gave it to us for free. So, uh, for free. Yes. <laughs>